Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This edition of the Mode Push Podcast, we jump into the U.S. Grand Prix, the winners and losers of the whole thing. What a race it was. Dan Jimenez is going to break down some of the people who have been amazingly disappointing and amazingly amazing this year on the F1 grid. We've got tons to talk about. It's right now on Mode Push. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Let's stop. Please let you cut. Let us Honestly. I've gussed it. I've absolutely gussed it. I enjoy this so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's a victory that will give Red Bull the Constructors' Championship in 2022. It's celebrations for team and for driver on such a poignant weekend. Max Verstappen wins the United States Grand Prix. It's still not over. Vettel in his final United States Grand Prix. Has he got the move done? No, not quite. George Russell takes the fastest lap of the race now. He's got the move done. The fireworks are going off. And on the track, Sebastian Vettel still giving his explosive action. Norris 6, Alonso 7. Sebastian Vettel comes home to finish 8. There it is. I had to throw in Sebastian Vettel's final U.S. Grand Prix finish there as well. Welcome on in. It's Mode Push. Alex Curie, Dan Jimenez, fresh off of a U.S. Grand Prix weekend, and uh, it was a fun one. This was a really, it was it was an excitement uh, filled race. It was had all sorts of things going on. It had a high speed crash, which nobody really wants to see unless you know no one gets hurt, and then you go show me the replay. It's exactly where we were yesterday. Dan Jimenez joining me as he always does on the Mode Push podcast. Your thoughts right off the bat from the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. The Circuit of the Americas delivered uh, a pretty fun race for us yesterday. Yeah, bravo to Circuit of the Americas. That was a great race. Top two, top three race of the season. Maybe Silverstone, you know, was maybe a little bit uh, up there in terms of level of excitement. But yeah, like you said, just great on-track action, you know, thanks to a few safety cars. And uh, and then lots of news around the paddock before and even after the race, it's just like, it's going to take 24 hours from the checkered flag for everyone to process what just happened. It was a great race. Uh, the off the track stuff that happened before the race, everything that we kind of watched walking up to this thing, you saw uh, the cost cap stuff ended up winding down. And But once the drivers showed up to the track, you saw Red Bull uh, getting harassed quite a bit by some of the fans, by some of the Mercedes and or McLaren and or whomever else 
everybody who's not Red Bull fans yelling at, uh, you know, chanting cheaters while uh, while they're doing interviews, things like that. What ended up becoming of uh, of the of the you know kind of what we ended up figuring out from all that? Because then you also had those awkward moments where Christian Horner sitting up on the you know on the interview podium before the races and talking with some of these other principals who are just calling him out right in front of him and and kind of staring down the camera. Uh, is F one in a better place after this last weekend it, from an off track standpoint because of what was figured out with the penalties that came along with the cost cap breaches? Oh, I think so. I think the drama on and off the track this weekend caught a ton of attention for just, you know, worldwide fandom, but especially the U.S. fans. I'm surprised at how many Lewis fans there are in the U.S. Like based on the the post-race interviews, I, you know, it just seemed like everybody there was a Mercedes fan cheering for Lewis, um, which I don't, I guess I didn't previously have like a huge, uh, like understanding of what that, like, where does the fandom lie in the U.S. amongst existing drivers? But I thought there'd be a little bit more Red Bull, um, uh, support just given the, I guess, the prominence of the brand here in the U.S. But to the cost cap stuff, oh my gosh, like Christian Horner's up there saying, you know, this is getting bad. People are getting harassed. Kids are getting bullied on, you know, at yeah, recess of the, and of school. the team members, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, kids of the team members are getting bullied. And Toto's <laughs> response is, yeah, I almost shed a tear when Christian said that. Like, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh my like, gosh. It's so harsh. I like Toto gives zero room for Christian. And so the the rumored penalty is a 25% reduction in wind tunnel time. And just to remind all the listeners, you, the amount of uh, wind tunnel time you get depends on where you finish the year. And so Red Bull finishes first. They already get the least amount. And then it's, it's like 45% of the average time. And then like you know, Williams, whoever finishes last, gets like 125% of um, the average time. So if they take a 25% reduction off that 45%, you're talking 20% of, you know, what everyone else gets on average. And it's almost half as much what, say, Ferrari in third or, or Mercedes in third is going to get. And so that's pretty significant. I think that wind tunnel time um, is really going to hurt them uh, if, if that's what the penalty ends up being. It's going to get interesting. I mean, and that's what the sport needs, frankly, because you have a, a how many races left? We have three races left on the, in, in the rest of the season, and frankly, the constructors' title wrapped up, and then the 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 world driver championship wrapped up, and so for the last three races, you you watch something totally different. You you get to see if the jockeying for position between Alpine and, and McLaren gets more interesting. You start to look and see if Checo can maybe. Uh, that that back and forth he's had with with Charles Leclerc, like you you start to wonder, you have to look at these other things, right? Because and maybe Max will get the and he certainly will in these last three races. You would think that he's going to break the single season win record. Where does that stand on historic performances? Do you think? Because I was watching it in in the and the graphic has all time. It's between it's thirteen wins in a season. Uh, Sebastian Vettel did it at one point in his career. Uh, Michael Schumacher did it at one point in his career. And then Max Verstappen, you think about the dominance that Lewis has had during that time that Mercedes won, uh, what was it, those eight constructor titles in a row before this year. And so that that's a historic performance. But, like, perspective-wise, Dan, give, give us an idea of, like, what type of a year this was over the grand scheme of, of great years for singular drivers in, in uh, F1 history. 
Yeah, I would say this is perhaps the most dominant year we've ever seen in, in Formula One, both from a car and a driver perspective. I mean, I thought that Max was going to kind of lay over yesterday after that pit stop uh, snafu because he came out, you know, five seconds behind Hamilton and I on, you know, tires that weren't going to last as long. And I was like, well, you know, he's he's already got it all locked up. Even if he finishes here, they're still going to win, win the uh, Constructors Championship. But man, the fire that Max still has in him. Uh, was really impressive to go chase down Charles and then Lewis. And so, yeah, I think on the on the grand scale, you know, probably the most dominant uh, season of all time, which from a competitive, like, fandom standpoint, you know, we don't want those every single year, but I think you have to sit back and respect it too. The U.S. Grand Prix gives us uh, an interesting finishing order. And then I was really bummed because – Driver of the day, in my mind, Max did an amazing job running those guys down. But at this point, you're kind of like, hey, how about winning the trophy? That's your driver of the day. Uh, you know, that you win driver of the day technically. But after Fernando Alonso goes on two wheels, and I just kept going back and watching in that wreck that uh, Lance Stroll caused uh, in the middle of that racetrack for that high speed of a crash to happen and nobody, nobody to be injured. And, and it was such a... It was a really dramatic crash, and I thought more people were going to be affected by it. And I thought for sure Alonzo's done for the day. That's when you rack that thing. It's going to be up on a truck, you know. Instead, he goes and kind of careens into the wall, and you're like, okay, what's going to happen here? When I watched back, I kept I kept going back and seeing him almost, you know, uh, airborne on that thing. And I would assume that there's some, you know, NASCAR has made so many steps in the direction of making sure those cars don't flip over ever again. You can't do it a hundred percent. But when I saw Alonzo do that, I would, I assumed that there were some things at play to make it to where these cars don't take off because they have the same type of a, of a possibility to do it. And then the guy comes back and finishes seventh. I mean, insane. That only a former world champion can do that. But then he ends up getting the, uh, the 32nd time penalty after after everything was said and done because he was driving around with, uh, you know, a Ford Pinto. No mirror. <laughs> <laughs> no mirror. He's just like busted up, which is – I started to think about it, and I go, okay, from a safety standpoint, I guess. But Checo went, what, the whole race without that that w- without that without uh, end plate on his, on his front wing? I mean, and so you kind of go, I guess I, that's not a safety issue. But if something's dangling off of his car, which it was, I'm surprised that they hit him with such a huge penalty – and then they didn't hit uh, anybody else. And then George gets just that five-second penalty for ruining Carlos Sainz's entire day. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alonzo, what a lunatic. Like, <laughs> like you said, like he hits both wheels, left wheels into the wall and keeps his foot in it. Like he's like, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I'm keep and going. I'm just like, what? Um, yeah, it's uh, really lucky he didn't go uh, end over end. Uh, you know, when – Two F1 cars touch wheel to wheel like that. It just creates that force, that reaction that just wants to Pops pick one up. car up yeah. really high. Um, so it could have been a lot worse. And the fact that they only had two cars really bold in the wreck, I think Lando Norris maybe picked up some damage in it. But uh, And then Alonso coming back to finish where he did. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like the 30-second time penalty was uh, was excessive. Um, you know, having stuff that's a safety issue versus a performance issue. I understand that like the safety issue, like if they put out a, I think they call it like an orange flag or something on a driver and says, you got to come in and fix that. And the team ignores it. I can understand the FI getting a little bit more upset, but uh, yeah, I wish that had been a lower penalty for him. And for uh 007 is I think what we're calling him now. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, George, it's he's got a license to kill and he's out there. It's like 007, zero championship, zero wins, seven assassination attempts. He's just, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> brutal. He's a weapon out there right Everybody's now, Everybody's so man. brutal. You know, yesterday after that whole thing, you text me and you were like, hey, man, I don't know if I can get on board with Mercedes-AMG after, after what uh, George pulled. And I always hate hearing the radio. On the one because they get on the radio and they're all on on their PR f- foot, you know they're like, he cut right in front of me. I don't know. I couldn't have done anything, you know. And he, <laughs> you're like, dude. And then Carlos is like, because he's getting from behind. He's just going, what just happened? Like I have no idea yeah. what just happened. And then he's like, I'm punctured. I just got blasted from behind here. I, and for the guy to get his his first career pole, and that's his first career pole, wasn't it? I think it was his. Uh, Maybe he's gotten he's another, one, maybe another one, but either way, it was yeah. it, it was such a huge thing for him because everybody had sort of written him off, right? And it, it just shows you how much of an ego, how much of a competitive balance that there is, and, and how much like how good of a driver a guy like Carlos is on this team. It just has not panned out for him all year. His sixth DNF of the year for Ferrari, just and and most of the time it was just like perform like you know engine blows up. Uh, gets blasted into from uh, George Russell, and he keeps driving. I guess I don't understand. There's no other comparison, I think, in other sports when you when you ruin something like that for another team. Another, you know, the the best I can think of in like uh, back in the in the way way back machine, there was a cotton ball in the 40s, and they have footage of it where a guy is running for a kick return. Do you recall this at all? There's a kick no, return. No, I haven't heard this. you got to look it up. It's interesting. A guy comes from the bench area and tackles the guy who was going down the field and was going to go down and score, obviously. And he ran back yeah. over onto the bench and kind of tried to hide behind some. You know, oh, my it, gosh. Like, imagine if that would have happened in today's. Like, but, but what do they do? They have to take the ball. They're like, put the ball where he got hit, march it forward 15 yards for a 15-yard penalty, like and then you go no way you're just you're taking points away from this guy you're you're doing all these things that there should be more we got to do more for this guy this guy should never be allowed to play football again this guy egregious right yeah. and so you so I don't know in, in that case when you ruin somebody's race and it's the guy who is fighting for points the teams are fighting for the for you know I think I mean you really could Mercedes is going to have to do a lot to run down Ferrari in these last 3 races to be able to maybe jump into that number 2 spot but it's not impossible and when you eliminate when you when one of those drivers on on Ferrari's side gets zero points then that's the kind of stuff that leads to these teams getting more that's why I just I, I wish that something like that would get penalized more when when I saw it was just a 5 second you know stop during the uh during the the a pit I was kind of I was kind of pissed about it but yeah I feel like if you're a driver take somebody out through just pure stupidity, you should have uh, a, a penalty that almost takes you out of the race as well. I think of the Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen clash at Silverstone last year, where Lewis kind of came a little bit wide through that line and clipped Max and sent him into the barriers. And Max ended up going to the hospital and Lewis got a time penalty and still came back and won the race. I, that was another moment where I'm like, I just don't think it's right that Lewis can take a guy out or any driver can take a guy out and still come back and, and win the race. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting with uh, Mercedes and Ferrari. They're, the Constructors' champion tightened up, championship tightened up, and they're only about uh, 40 or 50 points behind them now. So that's going to be tight for, for three races. Uh, as you walk through the rest of this thing and, and, and from this from this weekend, you see some of the things that happened and some of the things that uh, I think storyline-wise to – 
watch Seb in his final U.S. Grand Prix. Everything is a is a thanks for everything Seb type of a weekend, but he's actually racing really well too. And for some reason, that Aston Martin was getting around uh, Circuit of the Americas pretty well until Lance Stroll ruined it for everybody. But I, I like Seb is in a is in a car that is below the performance that he's seen in his career in some of these in some of these cases. I think he's gotten. And this happens, we see it in sports. Guys who are former world champions, guys who are at the top of the game, and for one reason or another, they're they're not at that performance level anymore. And I'm glad he's hanging it up because you see the flip side of guys like you know Matt Ryan in the NFL or, or even Tom Brady now who come back and try to get it done, and their legacy gets tainted a little bit by just kind of being there for no other reason except for your name is big and so you can still stay in the sport. And uh, so I'm glad he's going out on, on a good note, and he's still racing really well. Yeah, that fight with Kevin Magnuson on the last lap was some of the best racing we've seen all year through that uh, third sector, like, concourse of turns, which is a really cool um, track layout. I think kudos to Circuit of the Americas for designing a really um, – like exciting track. I feel like we've had probably a higher percentage of exciting finishes at Coda than almost anywhere else on the circuit. So kudos to the designers, but yeah, that last, uh, that last sector between him and Kevin, you hear Kevin afterwards saying like, look, it sucks that I got beat out, but that was one of the coolest moments of my entire career. And like, just the on, like it just, he feels honored to be able to race beside Vettel like that. Um, and just next to a guy who you can trust so much. Um, that uh, you know has just built the reputation that Seb has, and I, I think I think you're right. I think he's going out on a high note. Although you know we wish he's competing for wins, I do think he's getting more out of the car than um, you know the average driver would get. So hopefully uh, he can keep it going, and maybe in these last three races get a podium. Carlos Sainz has the fewest laps finished out of the entire grid this year, uh, huh. and it's kind of not that close. So last year he finished um, at the top of the board. He finished 99.75 of the laps race last year, which is exceptional, right? That means you've got to have reliability. Uh, you know, they weren't necessarily in the fight, obviously. Uh, Ferrari, you know, their their uh, their car last year wasn't wasn't competitive, but they were at least staying in races, right? Uh, Carlos Sainz this year has raced in 75% of the laps of the entire season. He's missed a quarter of the laps that have been taken this season because of reliability issues. I, and and it is it's the you know you you do need as the uh, as the British put it right the rub of the green to be able to kind of put together an exceptional season and if you're not in a car like Max Verstappen is and, and Checo is where it's obviously more dominant of a of a setup you have to have everything going for you to be able to finish and and Carlos has just had not enough of that and it's just been it's just been an awful year for him considering what the car performance was like at the beginning of the year yeah. I, uh, man, I love Carlos. I think he's just one of the more popular drivers on the grid and hopefully next year he gets a bit more luck. I can't believe he he's finished fewer laps than Latifi. That blows my mind. I I know. I thought the same thing and it's, and it's by, and it's not even, uh, Latifi's actually 12th on the grid of finished laps. (laughs) So you, in terms of, he takes it nice and easy and slow. He just doesn't want to hit anybody. You've had reliability (laughs) issues. Yeah. And, uh, Joe Guan, you, Joe Guan Yu has one of the is right up there at nineteenth. Vettel's actually finished the uh, the third fewest amount of laps. Al- Albon yeah. after that, but you have some you have some of those that you just go, I can't believe it. From a historic perspective, Max Verstappen has moved up into one, two, three, four, five, the sixth most wins in F one history 
and the guy is 27 years old and still has a lot of racing ahead of him. Lewis Hamilton leads that entire group by – I mean, he's, he has 70 more wins. It's insane. More Grand Prix I don't wins. Think, I don't think Max is going to catch him. You don't him. think he's going to catch him? I think in the new era, the cost cap era, I don't see Red Bull going on an eight-year tear. You know, yeah, it's I hard. think that it's going to be more back and forth, and then it's just going to be hard to catch Lewis's record. Be- uh, behind him, of course, is Michael Schumacher with 91, and then it drops considerably to Sebastian Vettel at 53. So Seb is going to end his career right now tied for third all-time wins uh, on, the, on the grid, and then Alan Prost and uh, Ayrton Senna at 51 and 41, respectively. But Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso, it's pretty cool be- because you have active drivers – you have Lewis Hamilton with the most ever, uh, Sebastian Vettel, third, and then uh, sixth and seventh with Verstappen and, uh, and Alonso there. It's nice to have guys who are racing right now uh, out of those top, uh, like I said, there's top seven, uh, four of them are on the grid right now, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think we're in an interesting stage of the Formula One life cycle of we still have these champions that are on the grid that are going to retire in the next you know, two to three years. And will F1 sufficiently replace those drivers with personalities that are, um, you know, as interesting? I think NASCAR had uh, had this happen to them and they didn't they had like the Jeff Gordons, the Dale Earnhardt's like Tony Stewart's. And then that crop, that cohort retired and all the drivers who came after them just weren't interesting. And I think that the uh, the viewability and like the interest in in that, you know, series dropped a bunch. But I think that F1 has been a really, um, I think great with obviously like their approach to media and content to keep uh the excitement up and going i mean four hundred and forty thousand people in attendance at circuit of the americas this uh last weekend which is the uh record for a three-day event in f1 history and like maybe the biggest sporting event of all time i mean like it's across three days but like that's that's a that's a fair amount that's like 140, 150,000 150, people per day. How many of those do you think are new? Like in the like a lot of our listeners and myself who are in just in the last uh, four or five years because of the Netflix series. Oh, I have to think over half. I mean, it, it's doubled previous attendance um, from prior years, and so it's a ton of new. Uh, I was just ton of new fans. I was just really glad to see Megan the Stallion and DJ Khaled on the grid walking around. <laughs> like what? Those, Shaq, Brad Pitt. Now, the, now listen. Shaq has liked. He's loved racing. Brad Pitt, I think, is is like racing for a long time. DJ Khaled wouldn't be able to name more than two drivers on the grid no. if that. <laughs> Megan the Stallion has no business being. Maybe I'm cutting them short. Maybe they're as big of fans as F1 as as so many Americans have become over the last few years, but. Uh, that grid walk that Martin Brundle was doing, I was going through, no one wanted to talk to him. And I'm convinced it's because if they were asked anything about the actual race, they'd be like, uh, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> like They would have no real answers for the media because they, I don't, I'm convinced that some of those celebrities are just there because they know they're going to get seen on TV. Yeah, interesting thing I learned uh, this weekend is that they actually put out like a press list of who are going to be the celebrities and notable people at the race this weekend and who you can the media go up and talk to and who ex- is exempt. And Brad Pitt was on the list as the media can't go up and talk really? to Really? Yeah, which I thought was interesting. It's, it's lame. But, because but, I, feel but like... I think Martin Brundle, like he doesn't care. He's going to go ask yes, anyways. That's like half of, the, half of the grid walk is him getting turned down by people. Oh, it looks like she doesn't want to speak to me. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Brad, Brad, 
Oh, oh, I'm not allowed to talk to him? Oh, okay. Uh, well, why not? You're down here on the grid. It's like <laughs> when he, half the time it's just the approaching people that's, that's uh, just as funny to me. Who have been massive disappointments for you this year when you watch these races? And uh, I'll ask two of them from a team perspective and then also from the individual racing perspective. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. From the team perspective, gosh, I had a lot of hope for Haas out of the gate. It was like scoring points in their first few races. I was like, here we go. They're going to compete in the midfield. And unfortunately, they're eighth. Um, Alpha Tauri is just such a spread between Red Bull and their sister team that you just, I, I don't know. I, obviously, their budget is less uh, and they don't have the same driver talent, but I think Alpha Tauri would be up further. I think those who have overperformed this year are Alpine and probably Alpha Romeo. Yeah, Alpha. Um, Alpha's a, is that just because Valtteri's been like such a stabilizing force there too? I mean, it has to be, even though he's had a lot of DNFs as well. Yeah, and I think Joe Guanyu has been, like you said, he's uh, he's seems like he's been consistent. Um, and yeah, Botas has just, I think, been able to get some of those like higher finishes, like midpoints, like fifth. Uh, not quite podium, but I think if you get a few of those in the mid pack, you can really, you know, boost your point uh, total. And then I think on the driver's side, oh man, um, Yuki, I feel like Yuki should have taken a bigger, uh, I mean, going back to AlphaTauri, I feel like Yuki should have taken a bigger step this year than he has. You hear it with, uh, was it Helmut Marco that said that next year Nick DeVries is going to be like the number one driver? And Yuki still has to prove himself. That kind of sucks. He's been there for two, three years, and the rookie comes <laughs> in, and the rookie gets to be, you know, the, the team leader. So I, I think he's had not a great season. I think um, that, I think Pierre Gasly staying on AlphaTauri. I think that's a guy who's underperformed massively. I mean, he's in 14th in the driver standings, and you know, 23 points. He's behind Kevin Magnussen in points. He's behind Daniel Ricciardo in points, and Sebastian Vettel in points, and Valtteri Bottas in points. And I don't know where that car really is, but, I mean, it's got that same Honda Power unit in it. I know that they don't share everything across the board, but Pierre Gasly, who was like, I'm going to step up everything, and he took everything so personally when he lost that seat yeah. at Red Bull, and then he had the win at uh, at Monza a couple of years ago, and then you go, holy cow, this guy, or was it last year? Now I'm, like, getting all my years mixed up. Either way. That was two years ago. Two yeah. years ago. And then since then, he has really kind of underperformed, and this year especially. I, I've Yuki, I always look at and go, you know what? He still needs some polishing, but I like him. But, you know, Pierre Gasly's only scored 10 more points than his teammate has this year. Yeah. And then, you know, last but not least, Daniel Ricciardo in 12th uh, in the driver standings. You know, he That's a bummer. In his interview yesterday, like, he was kind of, you know, out of words. Like, he's like, I just – you know, I don't know how I continue on it. You know, if I'm going to be racing like this, he's got three races left, and uh, he says that he's going to be around. He's going to be around the grid next year, which I think means he's going to be a reserve driver. And wildest of all rumors is that he's going to be a reserve driver back at Red Bull. I don't understand wow. that move for him because I don't think he's a better driver than Checo. Uh, I don't understand what his strategy is there, other than maybe just trying to reserve driver for a year, be at the best team, and then up his you know draft stock to get picked up by another team after he's spent a year with Red Bull. Other disappointments on the grid for me from like a personal driver standpoint, and and it's not because of anything else except for just kind of the circumstances that, that they were in, but he didn't beat his teammate this year. Lewis Hamilton has struggled against uh, George Russell. Is that just because there's a little bit of disinterest from the world champ who just goes, 
you know what, uh, like, if I'm not first, like, you might as well make me last. I'm not as interested if I'm not going to be a competitive car. Yeah, it seems like he kind of didn't have the fire in him at the beginning of the year. He he saw the writing on the wall with the car, right? I mean, that was kind of Yeah, I think it was just kind of a ton of disappointment in the first third of the season, and then now, as he's challenging for these wins, I feel like he's going to get the fire back in him. I was really pulling for him to win uh, yesterday, and like I said, I thought coming out with that four-second lead and and the hard tires with like 20-some-odd laps to go, I was like, oh, there's no way these mediums are going to hang hold up for Max, and even if Max gets gets around him, Lewis will fight back, but... Red Bull just is able to maintain their tires like nobody else and everyone everyone else falls off. And so, yeah, it was close. I don't think that I, I think what yesterday showed is that, you know, the grid needs more than just like one mess up from Red Bull yeah. in order to win. Like they need a mess up plus like some more performance advantages. Uh, you're not going to see Lando Norris uh, move up anywhere in the driver's standings. He's probably going to stay in that seventh spot because he's 100 points off of uh, or 90 points off of, of Lewis. And I don't see uh, Esteban Ocon, uh, you know, running him down. By the way, yeah, that t- that Alpine team has been fantastic this year compared to what we probably thought they were going to do. Ocon's had a, a tremendous year at, at that eighth spot in the in the driver's standings. But I w- I was bummed that Lando, and this is more on the car than it is on Lando, I think. But I was I was pissed that Lando didn't get his first win yet. <laughs> he still has yeah. those, he has those two second places in his career. He has a a, a handful of podiums, and it's just. He can't seem to – it's just like the car hasn't matched up this year. When, when they had moments, it just ended up not being not being good enough. And uh, I, I'm bummed for him because he's got such a bright future still. But at, then at some point, you're not the youngest guy on the grid anymore and you're not getting all the – well, he's 18, he's fine. You know, it'll come around. You wonder at what point he's going to be able to get that win if McLaren can't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, again, fan favorite that I'm sure everybody wants to see win. And I don't think it's going to be this year. I think McLaren's been on the dis- disappointing side of things. Uh, and hopefully next year they can pick it back up and be more competitive because there's a lot of a lot of McLaren fan- fans here in the U.S. as well. Checo heads home for a home race in Mexico City. That's where the next race is going to be. Uh, how, like, what? where does this race stack up and – and what happens at this at this Mexican race, and, and and where is it historically? I mean, it's been on the grid for a long time, but Mexico is a place that people really love to uh, to see where that race is. I think it's cool that the grandstand's right there in that in that center of the city, and it's it's an awesome mm-hmm. finish to the race, start finish to the race. So, uh, what do you expect out of Mexico and uh, and F one and the grid uh, showing up to Mexico City? Yeah, Mexico is a, uh, it's kind of a more of a low downforce track. They, it's got, I think the longest front stretch in F1. Um, if not, it's close to it. It's super long. And so you got to have the car trimmed out to get that high speed. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting analysis out there about which cars have the highest speed and Williams, most, uh, races, uh, and Alfa Romeo have the highest average tops, like top speed. Um, but then, uh, you know, obviously they need a little bit more downforce because they're still, uh, you know, getting crushed by Red Bull. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, it'll probably play a lot like maybe Spa did. Um, and uh, we'll probably see Red Bull back up front. If, if Ferrari can get their tire degradation stuff figured out, I think they have the pace, especially in a, um, a low downforce track to beat uh, uh, Red Bull. But that they just got to figure out their tire situation. 
Uh, all right, so we get ready for Mexico, and uh, we're going to have another episode drop this week where we uh, kind of break down a few more things inside of the car. We're going to force Dan to do some homework on uh, any part of the car he wants to teach us about. I, frankly, uh, am looking forward to some of the changes that happen. I, I want to know what regulations could shift next year for these for this for this car the stuff that the that the that f1 and the fia might look at and say oh we might have to end up changing a few of these things here uh and there so uh dan are you up for the challenge of some extra homework this week oh always i love homework (laughs) you are a great (laughs) student don't deny it come on uh yeah so we'll get you ready for that one we appreciate you listening to mode push uh we put a lot of work into this thing and we, we we try to make sure we can get in and uh, get you a couple episodes a week during these uh, during the season. So for Dan, I'm Alex. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back again uh, later on this week in a few days. Check the old uh, downloads because you'll be able to get some new episodes. Tell a friend, teach a neighbor about F1 and what we're doing on this uh, on this podcast here. So for Dan, I'm Alex. We'll see you next time, everybody.